Hi everyone, welcome to episode 8 of the Planet K2 Performance Fix podcast. Today I am really, really excited. Um, I am with John Amici, who is a psychologist, a New York Times best-selling author, also known as the Everyday Jedi. I, I don't really know how else to um, describe you, John, but I, I'm very jealous of, of all the <laughs> things that you've done. But how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Brilliant. Um, I thought it'd be great if you could just introduce yourself to everyone. Um, I also forgot a massive fact of, of what you have done within um, your career, but I will allow um, you to expand upon that. So if you could just introduce yourself to everyone, um, let people know what you're doing now, what you have done, that would be fantastic. Uh, yep, I, uh, I run a psychological consultancy uh, called the Major Performance Systems, APS. I, uh, I'm a director of the country's largest NHS hospital trust in Manchester, about 26,000 um, staff and clinicians and, uh, and nurses um, serving, um, you know, all, all the northwest really, but certainly um, the, the area in and around Manchester. Um, uh, that's really the interesting stuff. I used to play some sport, and nobody cares about that. And certainly, it's a sport that nobody in this country really cares about. So I played basketball um, in a university system in America, as well as at Penn St- uh, at, that was at Penn State, as well as in the NBA. Oh wow! How long were you playing there for? NBA about ten years. Uh, I, uh, NBA in nineteen ninety four, left in two thousand and five. Oh, amazing. Oh, well, it sounds like you have an um, a incredible experience. So what I wanted to um, cover today, just so everyone knows, we're, we're going to look on a range of topics. Also want to explore um, this concept that, you know, you've been looking about getting fit, um, which I'm sure people will be really interested um, in hearing about. But first, I, I, I just want to look at sort of teamwork. And usually there's a lot of emphasis on teamwork in businesses. Did your time in the NBA give you a, a different perspective on teamwork that differs to what you see to people in the business world? that they're aiming for um i mean I, there are some parallels i mean i think one of the grossest mistakes that people make is to think that um necessarily sport teaches any particular lessons we like to believe that sports teaches such you know profound lessons as uh, inclusion and leadership and partnership working and uh, humility and civility and on and on and on it's like it's a magic magic uh, panacea um, but it, it doesn't do that clearly. Um, but it, it does have some elements where where there are similarities. So a lot of professional services workforces, for example, and I'm sure a broader selection too, suffer from the idea that the way people are remunerated um, and rewarded encourages them to meet individual targets, even as they work as part of a team or at least uh, part of a unit. Mm-hmm. And and that and that's something that's common. You see that in in sports teams in in the team game. You'll see um, individuals who are really looking out to see how many points they can score, even if their team doesn't win. Um, so there are some real parallels there. I, I mean, the biggest thing is that that we use the term team far too liberally. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my clients, most of our clients, I encourage to not use the word team until somebody's earned it. Because assembling a group of elite individuals is not the same as having a team. And even most lay people recognize this in their favorite sports team. So uh, it should really be one of those things that we focus on in workplaces. You can't just throw a bunch of people together and expect that they will magically become this powerful entity that we call a team. Mm -hmm. Something you have to actually work on creating. 
So in terms of people or, or leaders who are potentially listening to this, what sort of tips or, or, or things could people do in terms of developing their team or if they're coming into a new team, what would you suggest to people? Um, I, I mean, we, we've got this this hierarchy that, that 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 shows how you can go from essentially being an isolated single worker who has working around other people all the way through to, to an optimized team. And there are different characteristics for each of those. Uh, one of the first things that a leader can do is simply embrace the idea that that simply having a bunch of brilliant people in the same room or working on the same product does not make them a team. So if you just start with the mentality as a leader that you're going to have to do some work, one of the big differences between a group of elite individuals and a team is that a group of elite individuals is really it's refreshingly easy because it requires no additional investment other than doing your job well. Hmm. Other than being technically good at what you do and being at least um, requisitely um, uh, energized to do a competent job, that's that's it. That's all. That's all an, an elite, uh, you know, a group of individuals needs. But a team requires constant investment into the team. Hmm. It requires the idea that if you see someone else struggling, that you have to sacrifice, even if it's only the slightest way, some element of what you're doing to help get that person back on track. Um, it, it requires that you ask for help. That you're vulnerable. That you're, you know, this Lencioni type of of, of element. Uh, to it as well but all of that requires that you know each other and that's really where teams uh, so-called teams in in business fall down because people know the capabilities of each other they know the of each other they know where each other fits in a gantt chart Mm. but that's about the limit of their understanding of each other and it sounds like you know for that to happen that people need to be able to be reflective but also have skills such as self-awareness would you agree with that or or what are your thoughts yeah it's definitely you have to be reflective definitely self-awareness is important um there are lots of people out there who who simply know themselves as a as a technical unit within their workplace that that's the level of understanding they have of who they are Mm -hmm. they don't understand how they respond to stress they don't understand how they respond to to change uh, to difference and so they're, they become a bit of an unknown agent, even to themselves. Those different circumstances come about. Um, it's one of those things that's really important. But also that they're often the kind of people who, because they're expert, they've been elevated. And they don't really want to have other people give them feedback. Mm. You know, there, there's the, the people often say that you get less and less good, uh, well, less and less feedback of any kind as you get more senior. But part of it is not just because people are afraid to talk to you. Part of it is because... A lot, of, a lot of people, especially leaders, make it clear that they don't really want to be told anything that they don't already know about themselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting when it comes to feedback and, and learning, and you know, are willing are, are people willing to learn and, and take that on board? So it's it's, it's fascinating um, to look at that as well. But um, no, brilliant. I, I, what would you say differentiated um, between the best teams you played and the ones that weren't so effective? Oh, easy, easy. Um, there's a there's a, a kind of a, again a, a list of, of of elements that are different, mm-hmm. but one I think that's most striking and and I most I think for anybody uh, again is a really easy thing for them to start to look for uh, to determine whether they are a team or or just a group of elite individuals is 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 how your unit handles blame and credit. Uh, it, in in basketball I. I when I played, 
you could instantly tell whether you were on a team or, or a group um, uh, of elite individuals by how blame and credit was handled. So, so on basketball, for those who don't know, there's five people on a court at any time, and one person will shoot the ball into the basket, and if that ball goes in, you know if you're on a team or, or, or in a group of elite individuals by how that person reacts. If that shot goes in, no matter how easy it is or how difficult it is, if that shot goes in and that person turns to the crowd, turns to the coach, and with their arms spread wide as if they're a solar panel, a solar panel for praise, <laughs> they, they, they kind of run back down the court, soaking up the cheers. You know you're in a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a team, when that shot goes in, no matter how difficult uh, the shot or how easy and expected it should have gone in, when that shot goes in, that person who shot, the first thing they will do is not look for the adulation, is not look to soak up all the praise. They will turn to the person who passed them the ball and they'll point. Mm-hmm. As if they know that, that, that the, the immediate point of success is the easy thing to spot. Even a, a random fan who's never really watched the game knows that something good has happened at the very end. But they'll fail to see what other people have done. Yeah, and so you yeah. point to that one person and... And and that you'd think is good enough, but on really, really optimal teams, that person who's been pointed to will then point to the person who did something for them. And once you get too removed from the score, it becomes really difficult for anybody who's not an expert to understand what the hell has that person done for them. <laughs> but what you do know is that the person who's been good, given credit and who you've seen has done something good has sent this message through, has connected his team to his success, so you know it's real. Mm. And and that's that's one of the ways you can tell. It's even more striking when when the person takes a shot, no matter how difficult or easy, it misses. Hmm. Because the first thing you'll see in a group is that person who's missed, no matter how easy it was or, or, or how how hard, will turn to the person who passed in the ball, and and shrug their shoulders and point, you know, two hands facing upwards at them like making it clear to the 30,000 people in the stands and definitely to the coach who's watching that, yes, I missed, but I need you to know it was actually his fault. Mm. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a massive difference. You know, on, on a team, when that miss is made, the person will, 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 will pat their own chest. They'll say, my bad. Uh, and then they'll take responsibility and ownership. Of, of the mistake but the, the interesting part is on a really good team the person who passed the ball will do the same thing the person who did something to them each of them will try and grab a piece of the blame mm. because teams know something that groups never understand and that is that the weight of a failure will crush an individual mm-hmm. but a team can bear it together it's it, it's fascinating um it, do you think people like that because they they try to protect themselves in terms of sort of blame and credit that they they don't want you know maybe they don't want to receive that feedback they don't want to feel uncomfortable what, what are your thoughts about that yeah i mean it's probably something to do with the comfort level in some part but i, I would add i do I, I tire of having the conversation with 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 clients about this because since when has comfort ever been related to performance and it doesn't matter whether you're going for a half marathon for charity or whether you're just trying to get to the gym in the mornings so you you know you can still fit into your suits there's no part of the of any of that it's not even when you're talking about the elite end and you're trying to get to the olympics there's no part of performance improving performance that's about comfort it's mm-hmm. about managed 
discomfort. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting how, how you look at that. And I think that example you gave with, with the basketball and the show, I think people, well, I, I absolutely love it. And it's such a fascinating way to look at the difference between a, a group and a team and, and really, <coughs> excuse me, really think about those things. When it comes to, to growing teams and maintaining high performance, what do you think is the, the biggest mistake? Or what's the biggest mistake you see businesses making? Um, they treat uh, team building as an intervention. Uh, so they, they, they deliver a half day and then, um, and then, and then they think that the team sh should be self-generating <laughs> after that point. And, and it's not that teams are, are fragile. This is not what I'm suggesting. It's, it's simply that when there is not a team, the idea that one can be created in half a day is a bold statement that mm -hmm. I don't think anybody in sport would ever agree with. And certainly not, not something that we should countenance in, 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 in our practice. Um, as, as professionals working with, with leaders. So they try and treat it as an intervention that's a one-off and, and they don't embrace the idea that it's actually something that requires maintenance. And I don't mean external maintenance, but internal maintenance. It requires time for individuals to spend with each other that is not necessarily going to be part of their utilization target. And I don't mean expensive away days to South Africa. Hmm. I don't even mean expensive away days to some random hotel outside the Ring Road of London, for example. Hmm. I just mean it may require time within the workday where they come together and you can't see anything happening that appears to be perceptibly related to client outcomes because it's not. It's related to their team building, which is related to client outcomes. And the problem we have here is that most organizations work on a utilization culture. And you are either a utilization culture or you're a learning culture, but you can't be both. Because by definition, utilization cultures respect time, only respect that is related to client billing. Hmm. They don't respect time that is related to other elements like the investment required in our people, frankly, whether they are individuals or in a team, for them to feel like human beings, for them to make uh, you know, collaborative connections, for them to randomly meet with people who are outside of their silo so that, that, that interesting elements of innovation might appear. And, and you can't allow for that time and at the same time punish people for not doing client-facing work at the same time. Mm. It, it, it sounds like from what you're saying that, well, the places are or organizations are, are far more reactive than, than proactive. It, well, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is it that they see that it's only that they'll do something until something goes wrong or they think, you know, their team does need to improve, whereas other organizations will be regularly investing energy and time into building and maintaining a, a team? Yep. And, and into this and helping people understand the skills, because once you understand that, that, um, Knowing a little more about your, 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 your fellow project worker is part of becoming a team. Um, you, you can actually make that commitment yourself. It's not even a question of the company then having to pay extra money to do some things. You, know, you don't have to go into the wood, woods and do trust falls. <laughs> but what, what you do have to do is, is create time. Because even when you think of basic elements like the idea of being a bit vulnerable with each other, especially with the way we socialize men in, in uh, well, men always, and certainly men in certain workplaces, mm. it can take a bit of time to develop a kind of relationship where you can be vulnerable with each other, but that's so essential to, to building optimal teams that that time should be seen as 
as valuable as 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 time spent actually with a client or billing for a client. Hmm. It's interesting how you mentioned the, the vulnerability and, and also men, and it's uh, you know for me it's fascinating about opening up and being honest and, and people sharing experiences um, and, and how they develop relationships in teams. So I think it's it's, it's all uh, you know really interesting. Uh, I, I want I, to I, do, I just I would just add this before we before we go on. I mean I, I think sometimes I, I say those things and people are instantly there is a group of people who. Uh, Maybe we call them pseudo traditionalists in workplaces who 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 they think that that what we're talking about is some kind of warm and fuzzy come by our experience <laughs> in the workplace and it's it's not i mean I'm just not interested in that mm. I'm interested in performance, so when I'm speaking about this, it's not about having weeping circles with each other, but yeah. it is about having an appropriate interpersonal relationship that's that suggests that we see each other as more than simply a a stage on a gantt chart. Mm. That, that's where the performance comes in. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And what assumptions do you think businesses are making about how to maintain success that you think are holding them back? Um, I, I mean, I th there's so many. Um, the, the one that I'm really interested in at the moment is is this idea of uh, fit mm -hmm. um, in the workplace. The idea of who fits in a workplace, I think, is really holding organizations back. Because it's so deep, it's so superficial. It's so 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 woefully superficial. The idea that because uh, it's often about what university do you go to? Do you know how to use the outside knives and forks on, on a on a well set table? Do you, um, do you have a regional accent? Um, are you a man? Uh, these types of things are seem to be unrelated to to potential performance. And, and so it's one of those elements that really, really holds people back. And, and we know this is true when you look at our productivity numbers in the UK. They're so low, even compared to other parts of Europe, never mind America, um, that we know we're not doing something right. When, when you ask most companies to tell, if you ask them, look, appraisals are a, are a blunt instrument. They're, they're often not a very good tool. But it is a standardized thing that we have at least to, to talk about. So if you ask companies... How many people are four or five on your appraisal? The best answer you'll get is 25%. Mm. And so in an environment where where 75% of our organizations are average or below, the idea that we would the idea that the the, the dysfunctional definition of fit that we have is working for us is fanciful. Mm. And uh, in, in terms of you know getting people who fit, why why do you think companies go for that option? Why why do you think places you know want to find people who who, who do fit? You know, and why are they they so sort of scared to find people who are maybe a bit different or, or diverse or you know, yep. you know creative in, in in some ways? Oh, I mean, there's there's really good uh, there's a really good answer to this in that in that that homogeny is really comfortable. Right? If you know you enter an environment and you do not have to amend how you think in any way. That's really comfortable. If you enter an environment and you know when a problem emerges, you will say, this is what I think we should do. And 10 other people around the table will all say, you know what? You're a genius. <laughs> that is exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it, it's so validating to have that. And then the third reason that's really dangerous, I think, um, is, is uh, there's a researcher, Joseph uh, Di Stefano. 
um, who did research on, on the performance of homogenous versus diverse teams. And what he found was that the, the, people always say diverse teams perform better than homogenous teams, but it's actually not technically true. What's true is that well-led diverse teams, well-managed and led diverse teams do better than almost every kind of homogenous team. Mm. The problem is that poorly managed, poorly led diverse teams do really badly, even worse than the worst of the homogenous led teams. Mm. So the homogenous teams. So the reason that this makes homogeny really popular is that we don't equip most of our leaders to be great leaders. So an average leader of a homogenous team will always do better than an average leader of a diverse team. So why risk? Many organizations simply think, I'll either have to pay or, or, or demand that my mid-level, and we are talking about first tier here, it's not just the top leadership team. Hmm. I'll either have to demand that my first year managers are better, train them to be better, educate them to be better, and then demand and hold them to account for being better. Or I cannot bother doing any of that, and I can just make sure that whoever they lead is going to be just like them, so it'll be easy. Hmm. And you mentioned, you know, what does a, a well-led diverse team look like? Hmm. Well, because diversity will be, um, uh, the diversity will probably be different for, for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, what it looks like is, is seeing people beyond their job description, recognizing that what they have um, in their lives, in their experience, in their cognitive differences as much as anything else, will be a contributor to a possible solution. Um, or, or, and certainly a contribution to possible innovation. Hmm. And so giving space for people to deliver in a way that they can is really important. If you just think of it in terms of introverts versus ex extroverts, a non-protected category uh, of difference, uh, a, a diverse team, that re a, a leader that recognizes diversity will make sure that he spots that little eyebrow raise, will spots the kind of the movement of the head of an introvert who, who might not otherwise speak up and he might quieten down the person who always has an opinion for a second. Hold on a second, Mike. I think James has an idea here. James, could you share it with us? He'll create that space for them. A, a well-led team just in the same dimension, a leader of that would make sure that he went to his team and understood that he's got some people who don't like to speak up or don't speak up as readily in their meetings. And he will say, if you've ever got a thought about something that you haven't shared in the meeting – Will you please come to me afterwards, just one-on-one, -on -one, because I really want to hear it. So they put in unofficial processes that facilitate people delivering the best of their mind to their people. Mm. It's not, I mean, it's, and none of that is like a, in terms of a reasonable adjustment, to me, that's just good business. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it, it, you know, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't sound, you know, overly complicated or maybe that's not the right but it, but it sounds like it, it's stuff that people should be doing and, and i'm interested to know sort of thoughts of why why are companies not doing that why are they trying to find people who fit with that brand and make sure people get us and and, and get them why are we so afraid to have maybe that difference or or, or someone who, who doesn't necessarily fit well difference creates conflict um and and conflict has to be managed mm. um uh, at the very least you know and it, it at the very least, it creates some friction. But again, progress without friction is quite difficult, even from a physics point of view. Um, the and and people would rather just have ease. We're, we're kind of evolutionarily wired. If we if we can avoid an extra stressor, we'll do it. And most people would say, "Look, 
I'm already in work. I'm already doing a, a high pressure job, or maybe I'm just doing a really mundane job that it, because of its mundanity causes me stress. I'm already working long hours or difficult hours or overnight. Can I just not have one more stressor? And it's a perfectly natural um, temptation. Mm. It's just not a temptation that's related to performance. Mm. And, and if performance is what we're trying to get to, that should be the thing that leads us to the promised land. Mm. And, and that, uh, you know, if perform when performance is your goal, discomfort is the, is the necessary bedmate. I'm I'm interested to know your your thoughts because you know we're looking at sort of businesses and and, and leaderships. Do you think um, I know sort of going a bit off topic, but you know schools and universities. Do you think they could be doing more, or do you have any thoughts about what what could be done so that we are developing future leaders who who understand these things? I'm, I'm just intrigued, really. Um, in terms of education, I think leadership has been um, outsourced to the third sector, and and this is not a, a a dig on on educators on teachers i simply think that it's very clear that the only kind of rigor that the government is interested in and and i don't think just the government of the day uh the only kind of rigor that the government's interested in is um a, a purely academic rigor in in, in a decreasing number of subjects stem um and and english uh, mm. are about it so a lot of the a lot of the other elements of that would make that help people become great leaders, which is having an understanding of a diverse population, uh, having an introspective understanding of themselves. I mean, God, how many people leave school, enter the workplace, and they don't even know why they find the people around them energy expensive. Mm. They don't really know anything about themselves, and then they wonder why they don't thrive as well as they might. They wonder why their relationships don't don't do as well as they might. But that's been abdicated. You know, full disclosure: I'm I'm a, a trustee of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, and uh, and that's that's the kind of I mean, it, it, it's a it's a great initiative. The Duke of Edinburgh Awards are, are, are a wonderful thing, and we are working uh, actually at the moment to to continue to modernise and make them more relevant. But that's the kind of initiative that you have to kind of go to that and certain types of scouts and other kinds of things is what people have kind of said, if you want leadership, that's what your kid's got to do. But if it's an extracurricular, there are a number of kids out there who, who just will never have access to that. So they, they, mm. they're left with another deficit that puts them behind the eight ball when it comes to getting that job in the first, in the, in, in the first instance. Mm. No, yeah, thank you for sharing. I, I thought it was interesting to look at because like I said, you know, it's always looking at ways that we can build future leaders so and it just triggers something off with sort of the education system so thank you um just just finally what skills or attitudes i, I know we sort of spoke quite a lot already but what skills or attitudes do leaders need to be developing so they overcome the fit bias um it, it, it's really it's not super hard <laughs> to be honest you, you just have to understand that people will take fit to mean comfort People will take fit to mean ease of interaction. How comfortable do you feel? And so you have to redefine as a leader and as an organization, you have to constantly redefine it. You have to listen for it being spoken about. And it is constantly spoken about in in uh, interview panels as well as internally in organizations. Ooh, I don't know if she's going to fit with this organization. And you have to challenge in that moment. What do you mean? Do you mean this is not an organization where a woman can thrive? 
Do you mean that this woman is so deeply flawed? And if it is, we shouldn't be talking about her as 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 the reason that her gender is a reason for the the problem. We should talk about the specific flaws. Put something objective in that says this is what we're looking for. And, and I think if you do those things and respond pragmatically and systemically as well as systemically to to the to the you know the, the constant barrage of messaging that says ease of interaction is what we're looking for comfort and similarity is what we need that's the you know as long as we if we keep telling people that's the antithesis of performance hmm. John, I'm. Uh, this at least the last thirty minutes have been um, truly amazing. Just to to get your skills and and to hear about what you've done and 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 just learn about sort of this, you know, the concept of being fit and it's, it's been truly fascinating. And for me, and hopefully the Planet K two won't be too upset, but it's been my best podcast to date. Um, so you know, it's it's been a great insight um, into what you do. So you know, thank you very very much for your time. It's my pleasure. Um, I just wanted to, you know, if people want to contact you, um, you know, via social media or yep. website, what, what's the best ways for people to do that? So I am, I am on LinkedIn, of course, like everybody. And um, uh, I'm also on Twitter. I am somewhat prolific and I will apologize for that <laughs> right now. I'm somewhat prolific on Twitter. So they'll see me there as well at John Amici. Brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Well, John, thank you very, very much for your time. Appreciate it. Pleasure, Adam. And thank you um, for everyone for listening um, today. Hopefully we will be back um, in the next few weeks with our latest episode.